Hello, and welcome to the Communication Solution Podcast with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. I'm your host, Danielle Canton. We love to talk about communication, we love to talk about solutions, and we love to talk about providing measurable results for individuals, organizations, and the communities they serve. Welcome to the communication solution that will change your world. All right, welcome back, everyone. We have an interesting topic to talk about today, at least for me, maybe not for everyone, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, I know that, Tammy, you had particularly wanted to talk about this topic and subject because you were thinking of a situation that just starting at the basics we can talk about. But then I was like, well, we can go deep into this with multiple layers. So I'm looking to hopefully do that with uh, you, Casey and Danielle, uh, today and just see how far we can get in a shorter podcast we have today. So Tammy, what was the original kind of thinking you had for this topic? Well, what is it? What were you thinking? The original topic was open-ended questions 101. And the reason why is because I think some people get stuck into um, a lack of curiosity sometimes because we don't really know what to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a difference between open-ended questions versus close-ended questions. Mm-hmm. You know, close-ended questions are yes, no, you expect a certain specific answer. Open-ended questions allow for the person to openly share their thoughts and ideas and opinions could go so many different ways. Um, and so the more that we can create open-ended questions, the more we can hear people's thoughts, ideas, beliefs, um, yeah, all that type of stuff. So that's kind of where my mind was at when I was like, Ooh, let's do open-ended questions. (laughs) Well, you know, go ahead. Well, what's so funny to me is that I feel myself having a natural bias and a natural writing reflex for this topic, (laughs) which I shouldn't. It's Mm -hmm. so weird. And I think because so many people, I've heard so much more lately that people are talking about, well, yeah, I went to an MI training. And it's like how you ask open-ended questions. And it's like, oh my gosh, we're drifting so far away from empathy and accurate reflective listening. But I know I know it's my bias because I know I overcorrect on leaning so heavy into teaching people what is high accurate empathy. And the reality is, is that smart, strategic, evocative, eliciting open-ended questions are a critical critical skill set to master in motivational interviewing. And I know I overcorrect towards mm-hmm. teaching reflective listening. And so so I'm getting over my bias and listening to that because it's just like, oh, I don't want people to think that it's open-ended questions. But but it is it, it you can't do motivational equation. without really smart strategic open-ended questions. Yes, it's part of the equation. And I think that's a really good point, Casey, because reflective listening is critical to motivational interviewing. But there are those times where you need to elicit and draw out from people their thoughts, ideas, or beliefs too. Yeah. So, it so is, oh, go ahead. Well, it, it just, it, when you say that, I even think of the MICA, you know, the motivational and competency assessment. And I think when we're writing a thing about evoking in the intentions, you know, we, we, we measure open-ended questions, we measure, you know, uh, evoking. And, you know, I always share this. And if you've heard other podcasts, me talking about evocation, but it just is so profound about how important open-ended questions are you know, when I share that example of, you know, in the cloudy cup, you know, when there's pearls in a cloudy cup, we tend to want to throw our pearls of wisdom when people are confused, when their brains are overwhelmed. And again, in the it, in the, the era of COVID, people are under profound stress. And when they're under profound stress, you know, they've got lots of pearls of wisdom. They get covered up by the trauma and stress response. And so we can reflect that. But part of moving people from that trauma response up into their executive functioning is how do we draw out 
their thoughts and their ideas. Because just reflecting in circles or reflecting what's going on inside of them doesn't necessarily open the pathway to get them up into their executive function in the prefrontal cortex. It is the the quality of the and the 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 feel of a great open-ended question that that has that curiosity that evokes or elicits their thoughts and their ideas. And you see their brain work through the cloudiness to get to those pearls of wisdom inside of themselves. So it just even as we're starting this topic, it's like it's making my brain kind of go back around with that what we're really talking about with with open-ended questions. Well, and I'd like to speak to the learning curve here, just working with so many different people and my own learning curve and still working on empathy myself and and that there's a certain degree of who are we interacting with and where are they at with their degree of expression of, of empathy? Because there seems to be this crossover of like, if you can go deep, complex, rich reflections that are very provoking of the person to speak more, there's something there that when you can guide that conversation, standing shoulder to shoulder, that someone like yourself, seemingly Casey, it's not just you, it's about the skill I realize, but has this tendency, this ability to go there in ways that are worth training to. And it's just, it can be hard to go there for various people. Um, And so in the learning curve of this, how do we help people transition from something that you weren't necessarily saying at the beginning of this, Tammy, but that we talked about offline before, which is out of that fix it mode into a curious mode. And just that alone um, is a shift. Empathy is a shift out of fix-it mode. But even myself, as Casey, you're being transparent about your writing reflex, I'm having the writing reflex of what like Terry Moyers and some of these other researchers have found in recent history, which is that open versus closed-ended questions matters significantly less than the quality of your curiosity. It's less about, do you think this or what do you think about this? Versus I know that the quality of my curiosity is I'm asking them what they make of this situation to engage them, to get oriented to their reality, to engage and be engaged with them. I know that it doesn't have a lot of direction to it, but I know that right now this is going to be engaging for them. And then I can come in with the demonstration of I get you versus I don't get you, which is the thing we're kind of alluding to here, Casey, that you trained me in is questions communicate, I don't quite understand. And the person then has to, in microseconds, go, what do I want to share with this authority figure usually? Um, And then instead, the empathy gets at that information, maybe in a different angle. But if you are going to ask a question of, I don't understand, I don't get you, versus demonstrating you understand, what are you trying to understand? Are you trying to understand a sense of their reality more generally, which is a part of empathy, but it's more demonstrating is what we focus on, but it's seeking to understand. Are you just trying to understand their reality more generally? Are you trying to gather information? Cause that's a part of your job and, and, and assess their situation. That's a different curiosity. Are you focused on the problem and trying to problem solve with them? There's a place for that in MI. We tend to jump to that pretty quick with the premature planning trap, but that's different. Asking is different than telling. At least we got that down. That's a different quality of curiosity. And then even different than that, that seems to come later for people, but the whole term of MI means to interview someone about their motivations and the quality of curiosity to just be curious. Why do you do what you do? Or why would you even want to change to see something different? Or what does it matter if things change? And why does that matter? And just the curiosity of motivation 
is one of those key things in MI that can get lost in the fray of all these acronyms and all these other things. And it's so much of why I'm grateful to Casey talking about the physics of this, the mindset and the intentionality of this versus the technique components of it. Because if I'm not aware of where I am putting my curiosity, I'm not necessarily being as mindful as I could be to guide this conversation. And I'm getting paid most of the time um, in, in the helper role to guide this conversation. So it's that quality of curiosity spectrum that was I was lit up to talk about with all this. And I have a lot of different examples we could get through, but I'm just wondering if that resonates or any thoughts that any of you have on any of that. Yeah, I, I think that's why my natural tendency is to overcorrect away from questions is because it's to pull people away from what we've been trained to do because questions, the nature tends to be more self-centered. I'm asking a question because I'm curious and I want to find something out. And when you're, when you run it through a healthcare or behavioral health lens or any of the other lenses that use motivational interviewing, it's because we're gathering data or we're gathering demographics, we're gathering information most of the time that we never use, but we gather all of this stuff from people, but it's for our own purposes. And motivation is so other person centered. And so I think everything you're articulating, John, is the nature of what <laughs> motivate, what uh, open-ended questions are in motivational interviewing. But I think that we are so trained and I think it's just natural instinct out of curiosity, but the curiosity tends to be about us and how these people relate to us or how their information relates to us or how their lives relate to us. Because we may ask a question, oh, what do you do for work? But mostly we ask the question to listen so we can bring it around to ourselves. I mean, it's just, it tends to have that quality to it. But what you're articulating is that is not the quality of curiosity. It is curiosity about how the person's brain works in relationship to their life. What are their ideas in relationship to their life? And that is just substantively different than asking kind of the traditional closed-ended questions or we need to gather data to, to um, come up with a plan or an intervention here, or we need to assess their life and their health and their safety. We need to assess all these things so we can come up with an intervention. That tends to be the questions we ask. And like you said, the more we ask questions and the more data we get, the more opinions we have on somebody else's life. And so then we ask more questions and then more opinions we get, which is again, more of a self-centered process. So I think uh, delineating this and distinguishing what we're talking about with this quality of evocation and listening is, I think is really value added. Well, there's so many thoughts I go through with that too, Casey, because, because one of them is this place of, it depends, you know, so much of the context and what work environment, you know, when I think of a healthcare situation, you're trained to, you know, you call it the medical model, assess, 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 because we are the people that know. And if someone's ready to go and willing to do all the work, the information that comes from that, or if you've been in a car accident, if you, as you've talked about in trainings or something like that, where it's acute short term, that information to inform the intervention really, Absolutely. really matters. It really does matter. It's that when we're talking about motivational interviewing context with this particular technique, it's that there seems to be something to people coming to their own sense of a oh crap or an aha or a lit up something in their brain when you can guide that process. And that can happen through reflections or questions or ideally a combo of both with more reflections than questions. But when we're trying to get to the heart of it, it's getting less self-centered to me, yep. Casey, is what you're speaking yep. to that we were just talking about in another podcast of compassion, that I care more about you and your outcome and you aligning with your values than you aligning with my values. 
or me talking about my reality versus you talking about your reality. And, and, you know, Danielle, you were alluding to this as us as egocentric beings, us talking from our perspective. It's just easier. I enjoy it. You enjoy it. We come across authentic and genuine with each other. It's fun. We get a sense of connection. So for me to shift that and now go, oh, let me stand shoulder to shoulder from your perspective and say something from your perspective, that can be a hard shift. So for me to just go, I am curious about your perspective is one shift into getting ideally less focused on us. And then as you shift that deeper, ideally you're going to get oriented and you can give voice to their perspective, give voice to what's going on for them, regardless of what you think. And as you do that, you're going to get more likely expansion and information and get more curious about a particular something in there, a particular this, a particular that. Well, what that could be is you paying attention to their motivations or their change talk or them doing something about something different in their life. Well, if your curiosity shifts to that, all about them and their values and how much they're aligned with that or not, at least you're making this less self-centered approach, more of your approach. And Casey, to your point, I think to get really, really less self-centered, you would have more statements about what's going on for them than questions. That's what the MI would point to with two to one ratio or three to one ratio of reflections to questions. And that that is something that when people hear that, that have even been through in my trainings, they're like, wow, I don't think I ever heard. I didn't realize how much reflection and reflective listening is a part of this. But there is a point to not just open-ended questions when you do ask a question that, as you've taught me, Casey, you're teeing up the question with reflections. Yes. You're getting yes. more information of what their reality is, what's accurate or not, so that you can ask it for their brain and their mind as much as we possibly can. But I do want to bring it back to there is a place for assessment questions for yes. orienting to someone's reality if they've had trauma or not had trauma, if they have gone through this thing or that thing with an autoimmune issue. There is information to be on the table. So I don't want to uh, negate that that's a part of, of being a professional to help someone is assessing information to get oriented to their reality. It's just that that's less a behavior change conversation, Casey, as you've talked about. It's assess so that this can be fixed. It's not let's get into your reality and help you align your behaviors with your values. So that's so much of what I think you just spoke to is, is really critical. Making it as much about them aligned with their values or not is what the MI curiosity is trying to be about. Well, now, it, oh, go ahead, Danielle. I was just going to say, I sat in on one of your trainings, Casey, and the, the biggest takeaway of many, but was about the quality of curiosity because I had not realized how important reflections were to take that that guess of how that person might be looking at the world. And it, you had mentioned something about it's the quality with which you make that that statement, that reflection yes. that will allow that person to respond. Even if you got it wrong, that's okay because you just got information now, but you did it with that quality of curiosity that did not make them defensive. That's it. And, and, you know, as, as we're talking about this, it, and I think this is going to be a whole separate podcast, it just strikes me, is that when you're talking about the side by side and that curiosity, what that requires is a brain that's not under its own stress or trauma. Mm -hmm. the, the, the amount of 
of energy and, and chemical reaction in your cortex and prefrontal cortex that has to exist and your mirror neurons, the amount of energy that that takes to leave your experience and enter someone else's experience accurately is, is not going to happen when people are under stress. And it's not going to happen when you're traumatized because your brain science is set up to keep you surviving. <laughs> like your default is going to be survival. So when people are under stress and pressure and their, their productivity is dropping and you know, their, their you know, child has COVID again and, you know, and now we're getting more pressures and now our funding streams have shifted and, and now I'm supposed to be empathetic and now I'm supposed to be shoulder to shoulder in somebody else's reality. Damn, I can barely manage my own reality. Like, I think, I think putting that in that context, I think that's going to be a whole separate podcast. It just struck me because it's like, these are, they're so much more complex than thinking about open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summary statements. That's all accurate. But the the depth and the quality and complexity of what's being talked about when you're talking about the complexity of the human brain and human behavior is is just mind blowing to me. And and the example that I tend to use, and we can use it with open ended questions, is you can you can give a first year resident a scalpel and have them kind of remove sutures using a scalpel, and they're fine with that. But give them that same scalpel and have them go in and try to do advanced surgery on the heart they're not as adept at that. It's the same scalpel. It's just how skilled are you at wielding it for what things? I mean, to, to snip a couple of sutures is not difficult, but to get in there and actually navigate around human organs is way more complex. And And I know I overstate this, but I genuinely believe the work you do, if you're genuinely working on behavior change is as complex or more complex than heart surgery or brain surgery. These are moving pieces of human beings whose thoughts and feelings are adjusting moment to moment and day to day. The human heart has some basic structures that aren't going to change. The human brain has some basic structures that people know how to navigate. And even that's a new horizon. But I think it, I don't think it's overselling it for people to understand when we're talking about the quality of empathy and accurate empathy, which is usually leans into things like reflective statements and validation and these, you know, these techniques. It's the same thing, I guess, when we're looking at open-ended questions, that it's not about a question. It's like, John, you're talking about that Moyers at all are writing about that. It's just the quality of curiosity and the authenticity that you're bringing to that on what opens people up to their own thought process. Um, mm -hmm. And that is extremely complex. It's beyond a worksheet. It's beyond, you know, a recording of did you use questions or reflections? Did you use open questions or closed questions? There's so much more, you know, mindset and intention behind that. Uh, yeah, which I think is that'll, that'll be helpful. And I think a future uh, podcast as we do uh, looking at time that I'll be wrapping for this one here. But I do want to mention that the less time you have, the more it's important to be aware of what is the quality of your curiosity? What is the quality of your empathy and the depth of it? Because the less time you have, the more precise you need to be. So when I think of a brief MI or doctors or people in healthcare that have that less time, and then Tammy's saying, well, now they're going to open up about everything. Well, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't want them to open up about everything. I'm curious about this particular thing for it to serve them for their change. And so I just wanted to end with that sense of it's functional, it's effective, it's efficient that we're talking about, not just feel good. But Tammy, go ahead. Perfect. I, I just wanted to end with like three real life examples so people can distinctly see kind of the differences. Um, so we're, we're talking about a lot of people start with close-ended questions, which are like, um, have, have you had any thoughts about this topic? Yes or no? And then people start to evolve their skill set and do more open-ended questions like, 
what are your thoughts about this topic? And that starts to get people to talk about um, what their thoughts are. But the next level, which is what we're talking about, how reflective listening can sometimes replace open-ended questions is doing a statement like, yeah, and you've had a lot of thoughts around this already. And that can come sometimes lead people to then share what some of those thoughts are. So I just wanted to give a distinct example to show like close-ended and open-ended and a reflective statement. You can get to the same um, ending point or outcome with an open-ended question versus a reflective statement, but the reflective statement is much more of that empathetic place where you're coming from. So. And we, we, we go over that even in some skill building stuff in our trainings. If people are interested in going through that from questions to reflections, we've got different handouts for different professionals. So just a, a heads up with that, that can be a very helpful skill building. Also that I'll be putting together something. I'm working with this Esper group or we're working with some Esper group people right now. And the reason I was saying I is because I'm putting together this list of different types of questions of engaging, focusing, uh, pursuing and planning. And so with that, uh, we'll have some stuff posted on our MI plus for anyone that is interested in that for some more resources, some more skill building uh, that you can find on our MI plus membership as well. So I thought I'd point people in that direction. But for now, that's all I have, unless anyone else has anything else for wrapping it up. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Awesome, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Hopefully Thank it was helpful. You. See you next time. All right. Thank you for listening to the Communication Solution Podcast with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. As always, this podcast is about empowering you on your journey to change the world. So if you have questions, suggestions, or ideas, send them our way at Casey at IFIOC.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y at IFIOC.com. For more information or to schedule a training, visit IFIOC.com. Until our next communication solution podcast, keep changing the world.